Welcome to That Tracks with Robert Sterrett Bury. The guest I have today is Mark DeWidziak. The skeptic is open to uh, all information and proof and is willing to say, I, I don't know the answer. You know, mm -hmm. I certainly do not know the answer to, to all of this. Um, I've known a lot of people who have uh, told me quite sincerely that they have had experiences. They have shared these experiences with me, and I do not think they are lying. And uh, as I have said uh, many, many times, that whatever you might think uh, ghosts are, they are part of the human experience. Even if you do not believe them in, as actual manifestations of any kind, it is still something that is deep, deep in the human experience and therefore is worth studying, even if you believe it to be a psychological maladjustment of some kind. It is still worth researching why this has part of the human experience and continues to be. Mark, welcome to That Tracks with me. It's a podcast where honestly, you know, by default, I couldn't come up with a better name. Um, and not that I'm saying this is a great name, but I, I tried everything that I could find that would be an original name for the podcast. And, and the closest I got was thinking, all right, so if I use the phrase that tracks, to me, it simply means that means something um, that's important, um, that tracks, or as you would say, as um, a philosopher or someone, you would say something like it follows then um, that this is where we're going to go from there. So that is what I think about when I think about you and your contribution to TV and media as a critic and and all your contributions when you have written about um, people is it's just there, there's there's a lot of meaning and stuff that catches my eye. So once again, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, that's right. And I like the title, by the way. I think it's I think it's a terrific. And but, you know, I, I know what you mean. Titles uh, are one of the two things that will that keep writers up late at night and cost them sleep and probably cost them uh, years off their life. You know, titles and endings. They're the killers. They're the two things that you spend an inordinate amount of time trying to get exactly right. And they're the two things that really will take um, years off your life. It's it's. I'm pretty pleased with it. Um, the the silly side of it is it's dual purposed because I want it to be a general interest podcast, but people are going to learn pretty quickly. I am going to do a lot of track and field interviews. Um, it is it's it's the thing that I've coached for over 30 years, and there are people I've always wanted to talk to, and I have found a couple Olympians. Um, this is the, the funny thing when I told Vonda last night, who I was interviewing, that um, at four in the morning on Thursday, I'll be interviewing the three-time Icelandic um, Olympic javelin thrower, uh, female javelin thrower. And uh, I'm just, you know, just thrilled to death that I'm going to be able to uh, do just something within that uh, that realm that I enjoy so much. But back to us, back to us. Um there, you know, the the fact that you've got um, the the hook, let's say, into 
so many of these things that I like, um, whether it's going to be um, writing about Peter Falk and Columbo, or if it's going to be vampires and, you know, and still the, the talk that you did and that's on uh, YouTube where you talk about um, Bram, Bram Stoker meets uh, Mark Twain or Mark Twain meets Bram Stoker, Stoker. Oh my gosh. You know, I was so thrilled at that one to, to learn that because I knew none of that information and, and to hear those connections that they had. And, and I think those are still stories I'd like to get into if I can, but changing things a little bit, there's one story I really want on my podcast and I want to hear you say it when I'm here listening to it. And I think it's when you said it during that particular podcast and it is your ghost story. I think it's the one ghost story you tell, and it has something to do with a book and being on stage, maybe. Does does that ring a bell? I should have done my research more. The way I tell that story, the way it's I always tell that story is to, uh, I have to give the background to it, and I have to give a certain amount of background about myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I'll start, by, I'll start by saying that um, I am a true skeptic when it comes to yes. uh this type of thing. Now, yes. most people, when they say they're skeptics, don't mean they're skeptics at all. They mean they, they're non-believers. That's right. what they believe skepticism means. Right. And that's almost become the byword for a non-believers to say, I'm a skeptic. Well, no, that's not really what a skeptic is. A skeptic is open to uh, all information and proof and is willing to say, I, I don't know the answer. You know, mm-hmm. I certainly do not know the answer to, to all of this. Um, I've known a lot of people who have, uh, told me quite sincerely that they have had experiences. They have shared these experiences with me and I do not think they are lying. And, uh, as I have said, uh, many, many times that whatever you might think, uh, ghosts are, they are part of the human experience. Even if you do not believe them in, as actual manifestations of any kind, it is still something that is deep, deep in the human experience and therefore is worth studying. Even if you believe it to be a psychological maladjustment of some kind, it is still worth researching why this has part of the human experience and continues to be. Uh, so... Uh, ghosts are something which I think a lot of people are fascinated by. And the very fact that they exist throughout literature, they exist throughout history, and they probably exist in your own friendship circle. That, you know, if you did a a casual, had had an evening party of some kind, and you had 15 of your friends there, and you said to them, how many of you have had an experience with what you think is a ghost or know somebody who does, almost every hand would go up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. not worth studying. I don't know what is. <laughs> you know, that is just, yeah. it, it, it's something which to me is deeply, deeply fascinating. So now having said that, uh, I understand that the term for somebody who uh, is in contact with that sort of thing and, and, and believes they are in contact, that is a sensitive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever the scale is on sensitivity, I am in the negative category. I have never seen, smelled, sensed, touched anything 
that I would say is in the realm of the supernatural. And I have been around some of the most reputedly haunted places in the world. Mm -hmm. And I have been there. Now, my first book, uh, which was published 40 years ago, this week. So this is like my 40th anniversary. You're catching me on my 40th anniversary as an author. My first book was A History of the Barter Theater in Abingdon, Virginia. Right. Which is a structure which goes back to the 1830s. It has only been the Barter Theater since the 19th, 1930s, but it was built in the 1830s. And it was one of the two structures in Abingdon which was not burned during the Civil War. Uh, right, Abingdon right. was a town which went back and forth between uh, Union hands and Confederate hands. And so the, 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 the structure that is now the Barter Theater uh, was a lot of things. It for, was for a while the city hall. It was a temperance hall. It was the city jail. It was a lot of different things before it became the Barter Theater in the depths of the depressions in the 1930s. Now, uh, there's an entire chapter of that book of nothing but ghost stories. Mm. Because almost everybody who I interviewed... For that book, almost the first thing they said was, you know this theater is haunted, don't you? <laughs> Before I started, I, I didn't it. ask. I didn't put it yeah, out there. Yeah. I didn't say, oh, is this theater haunted? It's the first thing they said. I, I, I interviewed Ned Beatty sitting in right, that theater. Right. Sitting in that, and Ned Beatty had done many seasons at the Barter in the 1960s as a young actor. And before, he, he just looked at me and said, you know the theater's haunted, don't you? And he told me this story about being chased out of the dressing room by a dark entity when he was in there by himself one night, a story which was repeated to me word for word by um, one of the, the public relations men at the barter uh, at that time. And did not know Ned Beatty's story, but repeated it word for word. Okay. Well, there are a lot of ghost stories attached to the barter theater, and I documented uh, a lot of them, and a lot of them came from people like Ned Beatty and people who had been there. I researched that theater for about uh, five years. That book was published in, uh, again, no, this week, November of 1982. And for many nights, I was in that theater by myself, all alone. It's a very old structure. It's a very moody, atmospheric structure. If you're prone to seeing things like this, you probably would be prone to it. And on top of everything, you're in a theater where the imagination tends to run wild. And mm -hmm. I saw nothing. I was daring what was ever there. Come on and get me. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Nothing. So whatever <laughs> it is. And now, the people who are telling me these stories, directors, actors, who had been there, uh, people who worked on sets and set designers and such. The people who were telling me the stories were very sincere. You know, some of them were in positions where seeing ghosts might not have been the most uh, advantageous thing for their careers, but they were very. They wanted you to know this happened to me while I was here at the barter. So I I put an entire chapter in that book of various legends and stories about it, but. Again, did I sense anything? Did I see anything? No, no. And I certainly had ample opportunity to. And I never have. So I do not believe 
um, I'm one of those people who are prone to seeing things and ever would. So um, this brings us fast forward to uh, 1997. And I was working at the Akron Beacon Journal. And we were approaching the uh, Halloween season. And the people, the good people at the Beacon thought it would be a grand idea if I went to several places reputed to be haunted in the Akron area. That's right, right. And take with me a psychic Mm -hmm. and see what would happen. And I'll tell you the truth. I did not like the idea of the story to begin with, you know, because it had a little bit to me of, of the carnival to it. When sure. they suggested it to me at first, but I said, "Okay, I I will do it. I, I I'll write you this story under three conditions. One is I research the places we're going to. The places we choose will be off the beaten path, not places perhaps that the public is permitted to go, and only I will know where we're going." in advance i will arrange with the people there they will know we're coming of course but as of going i said secondly i get to pick the psychic Mm -hmm. because i do not want one of these 1-800 dial the dead people to to go on one of these things this is you know i want to take somebody who is not going to uh, add to, to any kind of carnival aspect to this right and I said, in number three, I want an independent um, observer to this, a third person. And they said, well, that's fine because we want an artist to go with you. Um, so a fellow by the name of Dennis Balo, Denny Balo, uh, was chosen and he, that he would observe, but he would also draw hmm. what was uh, documented. So the three of us would go out would be the idea. And I said, if under those circumstances, I will do this. And then whatever happens, happens. I will not juice the results for to make it a better story i won't make this uh any kind of a uh uh heightened experience i'm just going to report what happens and and let let me interrupt you just for a second because that is is what i uh enjoyed about the setup of you telling this in the past is is because i i do consider myself a skeptic also but within that same realm i do not consider myself um, incapable of believing something may happen. Um, I am. I. I just. I want there to be a good uh, setup slash uh, control for a sort of scientific experiment, and uh, and then again let the chips where you know fall where they may. So oh. that 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 part of it, I just really appreciate. And wanted to say that. So please continue. It's okay. Well, then the first um, order of business was to find a psychic, and so my first idea was to get in touch with Kent State University. And this was long, long before I taught there. This was, mm. this was about 1997. And so this was long before I was was teaching out there or had any uh, connection with the university. But the reason I uh, I went after them was that I had done a lot of research on different things, uh, uh, what was then called parapsychology. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kent State happened to have a department of parapsychology in the 1960s, which was very active. 
Right. They deny it now. They will not admit they ever had this department. <laughs> However, if you do any kind of research on uh, distant viewing, psi, uh, kinetic energies, if you look at anything like psychokinesis, you see Kent State's name all over. They took the government money. They took the grant oh, money, you know, and so gotcha. they had this uh they had a, a department of parapsychology which has mm -hmm. now almost become like the x-files it's like it never existed sounds like it right so um it, it it did not actually exist in 97 when i did the story so i called the department of psychology instead and the secretary was somebody who had been around for a long time mm. and i said um i told her who i was and what i was trying to do and i said i you know i've always heard that kent state had a department of parapsychology back then she said oh yeah we were big into it back then you know so i, I said well i i knew you were but i i told her my dilemma i said i'm looking for somebody and she said i know exactly the right person she lives here in town and believe it or not her name was carrie uh -huh. and um she gave me their number she said she's very good she's not you know one of these out there wild you know mm -hmm. types she's very i said okay so a young woman I, I i i called her and she said yeah i'll do it it sounds like i told her the parameters i told her the you know that only i would know where we were going so no advanced research or anything like that so um i did my research and i came up with about um a list of about 16 places and the idea was to go uh, on successive fridays in the fall leading up to Halloween uh, to go to as many of them on different Fridays as we could. So um, we set out to go to as many of these places as we could. We did not get to all 16. We, I think we got to about 12 places uh, in three days, the three of us going out to these different places. And all I can tell you is something happened in almost every one of these places and I have no explanation for it. I have absolutely no explanation as to, to, to why it happened. Did I sense anything during this time? No. Did I see anything during this time? No. But did things happen which were beyond a little strange? Oh, yeah, they sure did. Hmm. And I'll just give you a – this is – I forgot that part. The brief version because, again, mm -hmm. I can't tell you about every place we went and everything that happened – but I, I will tell you, I'll start with the fact that the first place we went to was uh, the Goodyear Hangar and Winkfoot Lake. In, uh, now, this hangar is uh, the old original blimp hangar. Okay. It's one of these structures which is so big it can, it can house several blimps. Oh, my gosh. Um, it is so big. It is one of these structures that has its own atmosphere. That it can huh. be raining inside the hangar and be sunny outside. It's it's a massive, massive structure. And uh, there is a section of this, uh, 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 of the Wingfoot Lake hangar, which was nothing but bits and pieces of uh, old blimps. It was basically a workshop for repairs and, and things like that. And... Um, it was huge. This, this, just this part was, it was huge. It was a maze of different things. Now I had been in this structure once before because I was offered the chance to go up for in the blimp on a trip. So, and they gave me a tour 
of the hangar at the time. And they showed me a gondola uh, in this place, and they, you know, tucked away in a corner. And they told me what it was. And I did some research on it and found out that this was a fully documented case documented by the military. Hmm. The gondola that they showed me was called the Ghost Blimp. The Ghost Blimp um, was the Ranger. During World War II, uh, there weren't many uses for blimps that uh, had military applications. Blimps were easily shot down. They were oh, they yeah. can, were not good for transporting troops. They were not good for as a weapon. But what they were very good for was observation. Blimps could hover way above the shorelines, especially on the coasts, and they could spot the outlines of submarines and such. And mm. we were terrified during World War II of attacks by sea. So sure. particularly on the West Coast, that Japanese submarines would hit San Francisco or the port of Los Angeles or such. So the Ranger was on duty in uh, the San Francisco area. And its job was to go up and down the coast and look for the outline or the periscopes or whatever. The Ranger took off on August 16th, 1942. And with a two-man crew, Lieutenant Ernest D. Cody and Ensign Charles E. Adams. This is still an unsolved mystery as far as the military is concerned. They went out um, and during the day of August 16th, the Ranger came sailing back past San Francisco and came down and made a perfect landing in the middle of Daly City. Nobody on board. The two men, Cody and Adams, had disappeared. And the radio was in operating. All of the emergency stuff was still on board, like the life raft and parachutes. Everything was in working order, except that the two men had disappeared. And it became known as the ghost blimp because of this perfect landing in the middle of Daly City. And it has remained a unsolved mystery on the books of the military ever since. How how quickly did people get to the ship to see that they weren't there? Right away. Right away. I mean, okay. it, 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 was, it I came mean, down in the middle of the town. Yeah, yeah. It came down in the, and, and blimps come down slowly. Oh, yeah. Blimps do not come down fast. Wow. So this this was just came, it came perfectly, you know, perfect landing. So. We, you know, the, the, I, I, they had shown me the gondola of the Ranger. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is a place very few people can go. This is a case that's not widely known, has not been widely reported on or anything like that. And very few people even know the story behind this or let alone that that's where this gondola is. So I had arranged with uh, a couple of vice presidents at Goodyear for this to be our first stop. And we went out there on a perfect, perfect Friday, October day. It was like the, the middle of what Ray Bradbury would have called the, the October country. Um, you know, the leaves were turning in just perfect time. It just was just perfect. You couldn't have been ordered up a better day. Mm-hmm. And we arrived at the door and we were greeted by 
uh, three Goodyear representatives. And um, we were entering this massive structure. I did not tell anybody why we were there. But the three vice presidents looked at me and said, you know, what do we do? And I say, you do nothing. You say nothing. Mm -hmm. We walk in, and if anything happens, it happens. Well, Carrie took off like a bloodhound. And she, within minutes, she found it. I couldn't have found it. I couldn't have told and you she, where it was. And she, and she had no knowledge of what was going to be no, inside. she didn't know there. where we were looking for. She had mm. no idea. Interesting. But she's, she works her way through the mazes of this, and she finds it. And she puts her hand on it, and she looks at us and says, you got something really bad here. And the vice presidents are looking at me like you set us up. Right. And I'm like, I couldn't have found it. I didn't, I could have never found this in, 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 in a thousand years. I wouldn't have. And even if I had found it, all these gondolas look alike. Sure. Sure. So she didn't know what she had found, you know, but she asked for permission to go inside the gondola. Mm -hmm. so they said they, they permitted to it. They opened it up and she went inside. And she said, I get the impression of falling. Oh. Of, 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 so, so they, they got into trouble. They got into trouble out over the ocean. And one of them went out to fix something and started to fall. <laughs> and the other one had, went out to help them. And they both went in the drink. And one of the vice presidents looking at me with his eyes, the, the size of silver dollars. Okay. And I said, what? He said, that's one of the theories is that they got into trouble. And one of, the, one of them went over and then, and then the, 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 the blimp just happened to float back. And, you know, that the currents brought it back and settled it down perfectly. Nobody knows the answer, by the way. Right, you know, right. Did, did these guys desert? Did they go AWOL? Was this an accident? But this was, you know, Carrie's impression from being in there. The mm. fact that she found it was the most was the was the astounding thing to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. The other astounding thing was that as we were leaving, Carrie put her hand on another gondola that was there, and she said, "Oh, this is a happy blimp. This is this, this is you know nothing but good feelings off this one." And I looked, and one of the vice presidents is laughing. And I said, what, what? He said, uh, he said, that's the, uh, the Columbia. He said, uh, it was stationed in Southern California. It had light duty. It basically just took up movie stars. It was known as the party blimp. Oh my gosh. So, you know, she, she, you know, this was, this was fun. This was impressive. And I wrote this as exactly as it happened. I make no mm -hmm. conclusions. I make no <laughs> claims. I just, you know, sure. I wrote exactly what happened, but I told you that story so I could tell you this one. Right, right. And the the one of the other stops that we had was at the uh, at the Civic Theater in Akron. The Civic Theater is a beautifully restored theater in downtown Akron, and it had been open in 1929 as the Lowe's, and it is now the Civic. It is one of the grand old movie palaces. In fact. The theme of the theater is the Arabian Nights. And you walk into the lobby. The lobby 
it's it alone is bigger than most five sixplex movie theaters that you could fit them in into that lobby. There's a grand staircase, like something out of the Phantom of the Opera, and the uh, stage itself is built over um, a huge network of almost like catacombs of dressing rooms that you there it's underneath the theater right so there's this world underneath the theater where there are the dressing rooms and all of the mechanical rooms and such and there's a maze of rooms uh, underneath the stage so um kind of like the coliseum yeah well there are three ghosts uh, that were supposed that are supposedly attached to this theater you know one is a uh a very friendly presence at the top of the stairways who is believed to be a man by the name of Paul Stieg, who had been uh, on duty at the Civic when it was the Lowe's when it opened in 1929. He died in 1972. And before he died, he had told somebody, I'll always be here. I'll come back. Mm. And he is considered mm -hmm. a very warm, welcoming presence up at the top of the the staircase there's another presence which is a very serious presence not threatening in any way but a very serious presence that's in the the projection booth and but most interestingly there's a presence that is spotted in the hallways of the dressing rooms underneath the theater right and in the back of that the theater was the old canal system there's the old there's the old akron canal system so there's a woman who has been spotted down there, uh, a, 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 and they just refer to her as the woman in blue because she's dressed in a very old-fashioned dress in blue, a young woman, and hmm. this presence has been seen um, not only constantly by a lot of actors, a lot of people who work there, but also by two presidents. So... This is a very, very well-documented ghost in the basement. And, um, it, you know, believed because it looks like an uh, actress in costume, it's believed to be an actress who probably died at some point because the theater was both a theater vaudeville house and a movie theater when it opened in 1929. So, um, you know, I, I, this was all behind the scenes stuff where the public doesn't go except the stairway. So I, I thought, we'll go to the Civic. That's another one of the places we went. And Carrie went three for three. Wow. You know, we got there. She sensed, got to the top of the stairs. You got a very warm presence right here. Very welcoming, loving presence right here. It's a, it's a male presence. Got into the, the the projection booth. You got a very serious presence, something that's on duty here. Very. This is my projection booth. And then we were on stage and I didn't push anything. I never said, let's mm -hmm. go here. Let's go there. And they took us everywhere. They took us everywhere. They took us behind the scenes, behind false panels, behind the marquee. Mm. They took us everywhere in this place. And finally, uh, they took us, um, we were on the stage. We were standing on the stage of the Civic. And um, I, I figured, well, this is it. This is it, you know. But Carrie finally said, pointing to uh, off stage left she was pointing she said what's over there 
And I said, well, there's a stairway that leads down underneath the stage, but we don't have to go there. She said, no, we're going there. <laughs> so we went down the stairs and she was drawn to the, 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 the hallway to the left, the long hallway. She goes all the way down and she goes right in front of the room where the lady in blue, the actress, is always seen coming out and going back in. Mm. And the stage manager there was a fellow by the name of Richard Hodges. And uh, he was the guy I arranged to go there to, 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 to do this with. Mm -hmm. And um, again, Richard's looking at me like I, I set him up in some way, which I, I didn't, you know. Um, but she looked at Richard and said, you have got a really strong presence right here. It's a woman. You know, she's in blue. She's in very old-fashioned dress, and she's crying. Oh, Yeah. And then she said, she's not associated with this building, though. She goes back before the building was here. Mm. She said, what's on the other side of this? this 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 wall and, and richard said it's the old canal system she said yeah she's waiting for a canal boat she's waiting for her either her fiance or her husband she slipped she hit her head and she died and she doesn't know she's dead and uh -huh. she's waiting for him she she just came up to me and said where is he <laughs> oh, yeah now understand i'm standing next to her no i know yeah yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. standing next to her and i don't feel oh, anything i don't sense anything i don't mm -hmm. I, I, I you know i'm i'm just there recording this it's like you know right. okay <laughs> right 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 uh, and then she looked at me and said you know can i take a moment to move her on oh. and i'm like sure go ahead you know i don't like i'm running the show or something you know it's like i said yeah go ahead you know so she she does this 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 moment of trying to move the the this the lady this the actress lady in blue on mm -hmm. anyway so she went three for three at the civic the punchline of that story was a few months later i was in los angeles and i was there for assignment for the newspaper for press tour and I was staying at the Century Plaza Hotel, and I got back to my room, and the light was blinking. I got a message, got a message, got a message. So, you know, I called down, right, right. I got the, called in, got the message, and it was my editor, Joan Rice, back at the uh, Beacon Journal. And I, so I called Joan. I said, what is it? And she said, you got to call Richard Hodges over at the, uh, the, the Civic. And I said, why? why? Said, he called. He called, and you've got to call him back. Some he's upset. And he said, I said, I said, all right, I said, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call him when I get a break. No, no, no. You've got to call him now. You've got to call him mm -hmm. now. I mean, all right, all right, I'll call him now. Calm down. I said, you know, like I'm on deadline. I said, but I'll call him now. So I called him. I said, you know, and I said, you know, uh, Richard, it's Mark. What is it? And Richard said, she's gone. And I said, who's gone? What are you talking about? Right she's gone mm -hmm. richard you're gonna to have to make oh you mean she's gone <laughs> and he said yeah nobody has seen her since the day you were here there's yeah, been no yeah, sightings of her since that moment when carrie said she wanted to move her on so again 
I don't sense any, but I told you that story so I could tell you this one. Right, okay. right. So the, hey, this is the one that I remember. This and, and, and I this remember is, all those other two, but well, that th those again, and and something happened at every single place we went, and you know, in mm -hmm. fact, the 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 artists. I still have the the you know, in my files. I, of course, you know, I have all of the uh, articles for this. Um, oh, the and your, your audience can't see this, but this is the this is this is uh, um, a draw. The drawing Dennis did of of Carrie down in the uh, basement of the Civic Theater that I just gotcha. So, gotcha. You know. Yeah, so no, actually, I'll try to put this on YouTube as much as I can. So this is, you know, it says, I think the name of the, they, they gave was Ghost Chasers, which you yeah, know, I thought was a little, <laughs> but you titles. Know. Anyway, titles. Um, one of the other places we went um, was the the library in Hinckley, Ohio. Okay, was, right. You know, the reason we went to the library in Hinckley, Ohio, is um, this library um had uh a, two ghosts and they had a habit and this is one of the reasons i wanted to go these ghosts threw books <laughs> now when i say they threw books i do not mean you're sitting in the library and all of a sudden a book comes flying by your face or something like that no that's not right. what i mean what i mean by that is a librarian will have been in a room stacked all the books put them all back in perfectly in place leaves comes back there's nobody else in the building and there's a book sitting in the middle of the floor mm -hmm. like it was placed there and it's one of the books that she had just shelved right and these ghosts are kind of playful that way um now this is a library it's a public library and the women who work there were all uh, pretty much on the middle-aged to you know into uh, or down to maybe their 30s these are very serious people who did not want people to think of their library as some kind of haunted house mm -hmm. i i am a son of a librarian right. I, I know that personality very well they were very reluctant to talk about this and they were very actually reluctant to have us come you know but you know, I I I I talked to them beforehand and when doing my research and I said, oh, just answer me one question. You know, is it true? You know, and they mm -hmm. all said to, Yeah, we've all had the experience. Oh. It's happened to all of us. Mm -hmm. And so they agreed to let us come. Now I have to also point out that at this point, the Hinckley Library was back then not where it is today. The Hinckley Library is now in a very modern uh type of uh, structure that most libraries you'd recognize as the library of today back then the hinckley library was in a old mansion that looked like the adams family mm -hmm. um, that was at the corner of the two main intersections that came together in the middle of hinckley mm. and right on that corner house uh was the library and in this old as one of the oldest houses in hinckley and each room, like the old dining room, was the history department. The front room was fiction, where the parlor would have been. You went upstairs, and one of the bedrooms was the children's library. So all the rooms in this place were uh, were devoted to one different section of the library. Mm -hmm. And then they had like a modern checkout area in the back of, of, of the library. And... Um, they so we went there 
And um, I will also point out that the uh, the structure is built over one of the first structures in Hinckley, that if you go down to the basement of the Hinckley Library, there are all these uh, logs from the original cabin that had stood on that site, that you can see down in the basement. Now, there were two supposed presences uh, in that um, library, which was at the uh, intersection of routes 303 and 94, if you, for anybody who knows Acre, uh, Ohio geography. This 1840s building that was there when that was the library, the two ghosts that they believed him to be, one was a city founder named Nelson Wilcox, whose very austere presence and believed in education. Now, ironically enough, nobody knows whether the cabin structures underneath actually belong to the Wilcox family or not. That's never really been determined. But the ghost in the library was thought to be Nelson Wilcox, and the other presence was his sister, Rebecca. Rebecca was always spotted on the stairway in front in the front of the library if you drove by the library at night and the lights were on you could see the stairs going through the 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 the, the, the front door mm -hmm. and that she was always spotted um again a ghost in blue hmm. and um she was always known for her uh her ability with a needle and thread she was quite the seamstress and once when she was spotted at night um, on the stairs, the next day they found uh, a antique silver sewing scissors on the stairs where she was spotted. Mm -hmm. So, but the main reason I wanted to go to this, this, this particular structure was because again, the ghost supposedly threw books. Right. And so we went into the library we went all the way around the library and um, Carrie got two presences. We got a, a male and a female, um, an older male. And, and that, and, and, you know, that probably would have been enough. I would have reported it that way and that would have been fine. But um, I said to one of the librarians, do you still have the silver Sewing. And she, they said, yes. I said, would you bring them and can, you know, Carrie hold them and see if she gets anything off them? She did. And she got the color blue off of, off of this. So, you know, pretty good. You know, I was like, okay, well, you know, but, but at that point I, I asked the, the question, which, you know, I probably should have asked right off the bat, which is I, I said to the librarians, have the ghosts, thrown any books lately mm -hmm. and she said yes yes they threw two this morning and i said okay would you bring those books here put them face down on this table so you know we can't sort of see what they are but put them face down so she brought out a big hardcover book a big thick hardcover book modern book put it down and the next book that she brought out was a paperback, a little paperback uh, with an orange cover and put it down next to the hardcover. And Carrie touched both books, put her hands on both books. And then 
said to me, well, there's not much I can tell you about this. She said, all I can really tell you is that these two books are connected in some way. And I'm getting the feeling of great love and admiration and respect pouring from the big book, the hardcover, into the paperback, into the little paperback. I'm getting a big feeling of love and respect and admiration. And that's how they're connected. And she said, mm-hmm. one other thing. They are somehow connected. And then she pointed her finger at me, said, to you. I said, all right, let's turn them over. Let's see what we got. The hardcover was Memnock the Devil by Anne Rice. The paperback was uh, Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. So, you know, I looked at him for a second and I looked at everybody else. I said, does this mean anything to anybody? And they said, uh, no, no. And I said, well, it does indeed mean something to me. I said, one year ago this month, I interviewed Ann Rice in Cleveland, Ohio. And she told me that the writer that she loved and admired and respected was Charles Dickens. That the reason she became a writer was Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. And I said, and if you think about it, the devil. Dickens is an old English expression for the devil. Go go to the Dickens. Go to the devil. Yeah, the Dickens with you. And I said, and if you want one more twist, and I said to this, and I reached in my pocket, oh, and I right. pulled out an old audio cassette. Remember the old kind of audio cassettes? Yeah. Because that's yeah. what you could play in the car back then. This was before CDs. And, and I pulled out a cassette, and I said, this, ladies and gentlemen, is Oliver Twist. Oh, my God. It is the soundtrack to Oliver I recorded it last night to have something to listen to in the car. Oh, my gosh. I have no explanation. And and Carrie looked at me and said, they knew you were coming. Yeah. Now, again, I let people draw their own conclusions about this. Mm -hmm. And I I would be, you know, uh, certainly stretching everything by saying I felt anything or I... Right. You know, or anything. I recorded these as a, as 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 it happened, and again, we went to about twelve different places, and something odd happened in almost every single place we went. This, but I, I think the 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 real key to this story for me was not what ever happened during this time. I mean, it makes a good story to tell, and you mm-hmm. know, I'm I, I'm not gilding it at all. This is how it happened, and and you know how some people will say, and and folks say that if you look at this certain time. You know, I'll give you names, dates, and, you know, who the right. witnesses were and, and, and what they, right. I, you know, right. I, I, it's all recorded. It's all, you know, it's all documented. So if you say, well, they say, well, who's they? Well, I'll tell you who they are. Um, so um, what happened, though, was, was it was even more incredible was once the story ran, you know, and the story appeared again before Halloween in 1997. It ran on uh, October 27th, 1927. For weeks afterwards, 
and I didn't know how the story would be received. I thought, well, you know, people might think this is a little flip, you know, this is not really serious journalism, you know, people might look at this as a little, you know, out of place. Well, for two or three weeks after that story ran, I couldn't go anywhere where somebody didn't come up to me. Coroners, homicide detectives, politicians, priests, you name it, deacons, they were stopping me and they all came up to me and said, I've never told anybody this before. Right, yeah. Right, 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 right. But I read your story and they all had a story to share. It was mm. as if it gave them leave mm. to share something which was deeply personal with them. And it was endless. And as people thought, I always thought people would think I was some kind of lunatic if I told them about this. But I read right. your story. And I want to tell you something. It was it was constant. It was it was mm. constant. I became like this this father confessor for like until this this kind of <laughs> petered out. Yeah. The, but the story yeah. proved so popular that we did it again the following year. Mm. You know, there was a demand that we do this again. <laughs> so the three of us went out the following year. Seriously? Oh, I didn't realize that. And okay. we did a sequel story. So we went to another like twelve places. Wow. Um, and we probably would have, I'd probably still be doing that story if I had stayed at the Beacon Journal. I probably would have still been, then, you know, I jumped to the, the Cleveland Plain Dealer mm -hmm. um, the following year. And then that, you know, so that kind of ended that, that story. But <laughs> um, I, I, again, there's, there's so many things that have happened at different places. I could keep you here, you know, literally all night. Yeah, um, that's, you know, uh, uh, sharing these things. But, you know, it's, it's, I've always kind of thought, you know, I, I've never had what I consider a genuine experience because I haven't witnessed it. I haven't felt it, you know. Right. You're just saying you have, you're not feeling the presence. Exactly. Occurring. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm one of those people, and, and maybe that's because I'm, I'm supposed to observe it. I'm supposed to record it and observe it as objectively as possible and say, mm -hmm. well, this is what would happen you know and i know a lot of people will say well it's a bunch of hooey uh, you know uh, it's coincidence it's this it's that you know and if that's your interpretation i wouldn't argue with you i would not argue with anybody who uh looked at you know whatever those experiences were and said mm -hmm. and you didn't do it under the most scientific of no we didn't no i right, will do right. that. say that too you know is that no you're, we you're doing do it as a journalist not as a scientist that's right you know yeah. so you know what was, was this actual you know peer controlled research that we were doing no you know <laughs> and so right. i it, I would not insist on any conclusion. I would not insist on any belief system in all of this. I'd say, tell you this for what it's worth, you know? Right, right, right. And, and so even, even with all of that, then you still didn't get a, a feeling though yep. of, Hey, some, <laughs> I don't, and I don't mean, I don't mean a tactile feeling, yeah. but I mean more of a mental state. Uh, in your observation that, Hey, something's going on here. Nope. That's, that still didn't dawn on you. And I, you know, I, I, I like uh, places where, you know, the, you might call this, I'm a cemetery rat. I love cemeteries. I love mm -hmm. uh, haunting cemeteries. I love, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I know 
the cemeteries of Los Angeles better than I know almost any place else. I can get my way around Los Angeles because I know how to get to the cemeteries because you can't move <laughs> the cemeteries. Unless right. it's poltergeist, you can't I was move gonna the cemeteries. Say, I was, <laughs> was going to go to that. You move yes. the, the gravestones, but not the bodies. Right. So, um, <laughs> I, and so I love places like this. And I, I have no okay. problem being in you know dark cellars or old buildings or cemeteries or whatever. I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, it, but whatever there is to it, I've never, I've never had any kind of a feeling. And I've been, I've been in theaters. I've been probably right, the right. most haunted places in the world are theaters, because I mean, you think about it. What do you think ghosts are? All right. Well, you may think they are nothing more than the product of human imagination. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfectly it's an explanation which has been around a long time you know right right and certainly you know there's a there's a lot of validity to that being a possible explanation mm -hmm. second explanation is the notion that it is a physical impression left behind at perhaps highly emotional times when humans are made out of you know we're, we're kinetic energy we're, we're electrical energy we're impulses is it possible at incredibly into to almost leave in a Kodak imprinted image behind at very, very places? So this is not conscious spirit manifestation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but perhaps this is something that can be seen over and over again. Why many people see the same thing over and over again. Okay. Second explanation, possible, you know, third explanation, it is an actual presence of some kind an actual right. cerebral presence of some kind right. of, of a surviving human spirit so mm -hmm. okay could it be one two three there are three possible explanations for ghosts guess what wherever you are in the belief system all three of them fit theaters mm -hmm. exactly. because where is your imagination working more overtime than a theater right. where we ask it, you to spend your disbelief right on both sides of the stage so, Where is artificial you know, energy being pumped into the atmosphere, a right. supercharged emotional atmosphere constantly? Right. A theater, you know, where would people be tied to emotionally and, and intellectually? No, a theater. So by all three, a theater is going to come up as one of the most haunted places in the world. Mm -hmm. and so I don't think it's any that the Drury Lane in London and the uh, the Barter in, uh, in, in Abingdon. I don't think it's it's any, uh, again, no matter how you look at it and how you interpret what ghosts are, you're going to say, sure, of course, there's going to be a right. lot of ghost stories right. attached right. to this because it fits every way you can look at the human animal. Mm -hmm. Is your is your psychic Carrie still with us? Is yeah. she still alive? She does not live in, in Ohio anymore. She she moved mm -hmm. to the Southwest. Okay. Um, so I, I can't remember. I want to say Arizona, but I'm not sure. But Okay. Uh, but many years ago, she 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 uh, she moved to she moved to another realm. Let's put it this way: the <laughs> well, south. I just I just saw some really cool uh, documentaries about Native Americans that were playing today. With this being the month of celebrating um, Native American heritage, and they were they were on PBS and and the the mathematics that were used in all the various smaller pyramids small by standards, you know, compared to Egypt, but how, you know, they, they believed in the six dimensions, so to speak, the six angles 
uh, of the earth and how they were all linked. And, and that was just pretty amazing stuff. So she may be sort of at a, if she's somewhere Southwest, she, she could be somewhere at an epicenter, so to speak, but I mm-hmm. would love to try to track her down. Um, you don't have to give it to me now if you don't want to, but maybe later if there's, if you're willing to, sure. that's, that's somebody I would love to try to track down because here in Louisville, we have, um, one of the sites that many people will travel, not just around the country to come to, but they will travel around the world to come to our Waverly Sanitarium. Oh, yeah. Um, that is here. Yeah. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Brad, Bradley's buddies that do all the supernatural stuff, they've been there and done it. And, and I have a good friend of mine who's a physician who I think believes that he's sort of extra sensitive to presences that he's seen in his house and he's gone to there. And and I actually know the person who rehabbed it and built it. Uh, he was, he was a tool maker at that, uh, at the motor uh, plant that we have, but he was a very um, uh, interesting guy, let's say. And uh, so he just thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to buy that place and, and start a ghost business. You know, it goes to her business, but anyway, you know, um, well, you know, it's interesting because this 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 crosses another one of my books, which is that um, one of the, the the places which paranormal researchers are are attracted to here in Ohio is the old Ohio um, Reformatory in Mansfield, right? Ohio State Reformatory, right. the old right. called the OSR, and uh, it becomes uh, Halloween Central. Yeah, in, in that's October, right. there they have the Blood Prison, but. Uh, there are many, many people who believe that the, this, this, the prison is is a hotbed for paranormal yeah, we, activity. Once again, once again, because <laughs> that's where they shot the Shawshank Redemption, right? And right. because of that, I spent, you know, I had a the run of the prison. There. They gave me the run of the prison, so I was able to go all over that prison whenever I wanted to to do my research and to do whatever. And I've been, I was all over that prison, and once again, you know. If you're going to see ghosts or you're going to be prone to go seeing ghosts, that's the place you're going to see them. Mm-hmm. I got to mm-hmm. tell you, like I said, you know, Mr. Zero, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing ever registered. As well, a matter of fact, you... in the go book, ahead. in the book, there's a picture that uh, is called the uh, the Shawshank Ghost. Hmm. And there's a picture of what looks like a very shadowy figure on one of the 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 the, the cell blocks. Hmm. It's me. <laughs> I'm the Shawshank ghost. And the reason that picture got taken was uh, my daughter, Becky, took the, a lot of the pictures for uh, that book. Mm-hmm. And we were there on a picture scale. We were doing uh, pictures on a day uh, late September. And they were setting up for the very, very first uh, haunted house prison event. Mm. So they had pumped a lot of dry ice throughout that cell. Oh my gosh. And they had all okay. these weird lights going, all these yellow lights in it. And one of the lights and the mist was hitting the cell block in like a perfect circle halfway down. Right. Right. So I said to Becky, I said, well, I'm going to run down and stand in the circle and walk towards you. Take my picture. She did that. It's great. It looks like a uh-huh. ghost. It really does. Oh, it's and great. Like, and you can't tell it's me, but I was wearing uh, blue jeans and like a prison garb. I was wearing because, because I wanted the author's photo to be, in like that that kind of prison guard right, so right i was wearing the cap and the the whole thing and she she took the shot so you know i am the shawshank ghost from <laughs> that's that's an epitaph i think that's that's what you need on your tombstone um, well, sarah and i, I, with, I with, with the theater company we do a lot of uh, ghost 
uh, right storytelling that. with the theater company. And one of the we do one show called Shades of Blue and Gray: Ghosts of the Civil War, mm-hmm. and so you know different ghost stories about. Um, we start in Ohio and then we move out, and you know it's a, it's a fun show because we get to put a lot of history, a lot of music. Because Sarah's got a great singing voice, I don't sing that mercifully. Um, and, you know, we get to do a lot of literary selections. We do sort of Walt Whitman and uh, Ambrose Spears and Emily Dickinson and writers who wrote about the Civil War. So you get a lot of bang for the buck with that show. Mm-hmm. But we also tell the ghost stories. And afterwards, right. almost invariably, we get two or three people coming up to us and saying, you know, I've never told anybody this before. Well, right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm at the edge of my seat because I don't have a ghost story. Um, and, and as I said before, I feel, you know, I, I love listening to the skeptics guide to the universe podcast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, headed, headed by um, a neurologist and a couple other science minded people. And uh, so the, those are the types of things that I listen to. But in addition to that, I have never as as a uh, minister's son, I have never, though, um, as I've strayed from the faith, so to speak, been willing to say that I'm an atheist because to me now all of a sudden I'd have to be a non-believer. Um, so I would say I am an agnostic. And, and to me, that feels sort of very scientific, so to speak. And and the story that I would tell, if I could tell it kind of quickly, but it is that in would have been 1996, um, I got a massage on my shoulders and on my scalp. And when um, I, I got that massage, um, it, it felt no different than any other massage that I already had. I had had a, about a year or so where I got uh, bi-weekly massages as I was training to try to throw, I talked about throwing the javelin, um, try to be a javelin thrower and qualify for the Pan Am games. And I was doing a lot of really hard training, the massages, took me back out of that and I could come back and compete again really hard anyway. So I get this massage and at the very end of it, again, 1996. Um, and I'm, I can't see what's going on because it's happening behind me. And I then feel the, um, the very end of the massage feeling these little taps on my scalp And then feeling these, if it was, you know, I don't know what it was. If it's the feeling you get when you have like some sort of chakras connecting, I don't know. All I know is what I felt. And what I felt was at each tap, a uh, sort of a very pleasant electrical charge going through my head, down into my shoulders, and sort of exiting down through my lower back. And each one of the taps did this. And, and I just thought to myself, so, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, I've never felt anything like that. I've had, you know, really intense massages, light massages, all these different types of things. Never felt any sort of like connection from a tap or anything like that. So I know this person who gave me this massage. It was a licensed massage or uh, certified massage therapist. And it was not until uh, within the last year. Um, within the last year, I just started talking about that massage again and how cool it was that I had the, that, those feelings from those taps. And we're just talking on the phone and she's very quiet. 
And then she says, um, Robert, I know exactly what you're talking about. That technique I do, I never tap anybody's head. I was actually hovering over your head and she was using the, the Reiki type of massage therapy. If you've heard of that before, where they're just you know over the top and hovering and feeling like they have this connection after working with somebody. And she said, um, yeah, this, this is like, I, she said her name and said, this is like my special thing I do. I will do the massage. Then at the end, I will try to do the Reiki um, part of it. And, um, but she says, I never tap anybody. So I'm glad you felt that. But that what you probably felt was me taking my hands away from your scalp. And then sort of letting those though that break happen and hitting that charge through. And so that again, I I I would love to do a controlled experiment with that. And uh for for this particular podcast, I have actually reached back out to her and I've started talking, I'm watching videos of people who claim there are scientific um studies that have looked into this. And to me, that's as close as I come to the ghost world um, in, in the fact that it is not um, a, a physical connection, so to speak, in terms of actual tactile sensations. And, and to me, that is uh, spooky <laughs> to, to a certain extent because it can't be explained. Yep. And, and I trust the person who has done this uh, implicitly um, that that is the way that it happens. But it, but that was a nearly 30 year setup um, for that, where I had, I have told so many people the story of how I got the taps on the head and, you know, it rushed through me. And then to finally, you know, within the last year to hear that, it's like, wow. So anyway, that's, but, but that, as you tell your story, I feel compelled to want to tell you my story. It's the same thing that you were talking about. And and it is because it, it's part of the human experience. Again, it's it's whatever ends up being the explanation, you know, because you were mentioning, you know, atheism and, you know, uh, Clarence Darrow, the famous lawyer from Ohio was, was, was an atheist, not an atheist, but an agnostic, I should say. Right. Right. Um, and he once said, somebody said to him, you know, why agnosticism? And he said, because the smartest man in the room is the one who says, I don't know the answer. Yeah, I, I go. The, the, the having being totally sure of something is you're never going to examine it in any way from 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 different angles. But again, you know, it's it's I, I and I think it's one places where you know academia sort of lets is letting us down is if you look at the scientists from the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, and you look at the uh, the British model for uh, paranormal research. It was the Royal, uh, you know, Academy of Paranormal Research, whatever they call themselves. And these were all like the you know, leading scientists from all different disciplines. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they believed in, in ghosts. They wanted to find out what it was all about. And as they said, you know, if we find one, it doesn't matter if most of them are, are, are all you have to do is find one that's legitimate. <laughs> and, you know, that proves it. Uh, yeah. if you can't, but yeah. it was it was considered a legitimate form of 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 inquiry and now you would be laughed out of most uh, halls of academia 
there used to be a, 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 a couple of universities that looked into the UFO um, experience. Now, again, whatever you right. think it is, it's something which is going on in the human experience. Even if you think that these are people who are imagine themselves who are to be abducted, something then psychologically is going on. And it is worth studying. It is mm -hmm. worth studying to figure out why is this? What's going on? You know, and I, you know, that that's the thing that, that always is, is, is again, I, yeah, I go back to the, uh, of all things, there's a line in the very first Night Stalker movie, the first Kolshak movie, where, you know, he's coming around to, he, ha he doesn't believe in vampires and he doesn't want to believe in vampires. And, you know, he's, he's finally, he sees things which he cannot explain in any other way. And he says to the Carol Lindley character, I've seen a lot of strange things in my life, love but I have never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. And that's a line that has a, a great deal of resonance for me is that, you know, I've, I was a journalist for 43 years. Um, you know, I went to a lot of different places, saw a lot of different things. And, you know, I've seen a lot of strange things. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't just offer up the, you know, it's impossible or it's not done. Again, I'm not that kind of, I, I I believe that as a journalist, you're supposed to have an open mind. As a writer, you're supposed to have an open mind. It Absolutely. doesn't mean you're gullible. It doesn't mean you're, you know, um, you're naive about uh, confronting information and such. But it doesn't mean you, you know, back of the hand dismiss something which is that strong a part of the human experience. You know? mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it's, you know... Uh... You talk about the the royal this that or the other of paranormal study. I mean, it's it really is a noble effort, let's say, to be that constant observer who um, is is only there to record and report. And and you know, if if you had had other experiences, you would then also record and report those experiences, but you didn't. So that's, that's the way the story rolls. So I, I, I love the fact that you um, mentioned back again, being a journalist and the thing that you have seen for so long, because, uh, and, and I kind of, I knew how um, much you would uh, be, have to say about the, the ghost story and your experiences on that. And, and that was still intentional. And, and I, again, I hope somewhere down the road, we'll be able to have some more conversations about things, but I, I prepared a sort of a quick list of not a rapid fire so much, but a, a list of comparing actors and directors. And, and, you know, we, we can't, as we're saying this, it's not a competition. We, we can't necessarily say who was better or something like that to make a, a bold statement to the world, you know, Pacino is better than De Niro or, Whatever it is, but yeah, I, I don't believe in that anyway. Yeah. Correct, but what I'm what I'm sort of interested in, though, in in examining a list like this, is just what what worked for you. What what did you feel um, as you would potentially look at these people and were sort of boxed into saying, "Well, I like this a little better." Doesn't mean the other one's bad, um, but that that's kind of where I'm interested to go with this. So, and and. I like, you know, as you do, science fiction, horror, fantasy, those types of things. But I like other drama 
also. So I had the list is kind of um, mixed around. And by way of saying that, uh, the first thing I'm going to say is, have you ever seen a better car chase than what Steve McQueen did in Bullet? Certainly not more influential one. Um, there you go. Not, That's I'm, what I think. I, I, and, 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 and I have to say right off the bat, I'm not a great connoisseur of car chases. So, mm -hmm. you know, somebody yeah. might want to say, oh, no, there's this Sam Peckinpah film and this is, you know, and it's like, I'm not going to argue it because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not really an expert, but certainly um, the chase in, in, in Bullet was, it's an iconic moment. It's an iconic Correct. moment in film history. So, Because um, there really just that, wasn't something like it before right. it. Correct? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was also a point where, the, you know, I guess you could say that the chase in Thunder Road uh, was probably uh, one of the great car chases before that. There are sort of, um, you know, a little ancestors to the, mm, the chase mm -hmm. and bullet. And, you know, and, and that's kind of fun because, you know, the the notion that uh, the the the, uh, the people who made Moonshine and jack their cars up it was this was the the creation of the nascar circuit it was exactly. like nascar so you know um there is a, a nice thing that there are some movies that are uh from like the 50s drive-in movies that sort of you know the uh the 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 game of chicken in in rebel without a cause and things like this mm -hmm. you know you do have these kind of you know um car and speed moments that sort of build through the 50s to that but certainly right. nobody had ever taken that through a major city and uh, had done such a prolonged ballet. Yeah. Of, is it uh, is it in Chicago that they shoot it or is it New York or do you remember where they sh where they shot that? Or could, I wanted to say it was it was it was San Francisco. San Francisco. That would be the other thing I would say maybe. I I've, again it's been a while since I've seen Bullet but that, it, that makes me think of Papa Doyle and yeah. Maybe they had something in that but But I may just be thinking because I always think of San Francisco as like the great gumshoe detective right. Dashiell Hammett and, you right know. right right okay well that was fun so and and again I'm not um casting aspersions on any of these people but there are actors that I've seen through the years and I remember my dad sometimes who was who was a, a big movie buff if, if there's any influence on me to be the the way that I am about being a fan and just wanting to discuss everything about um, cinema and TV and everything. It, it's owed to my dad. I mean, we probably would feel a better accolade um, uh, and, and praise from him if we could identify an actor, and especially when they died. That was my dad's favorite thing. They died in, and he would just, you know, cite that. But anyway, um, he had opinions about certain people. And it just sort of dawned on me some of the questions that he would say a lot of times. So here's here's one dedicated to my 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 long lost dad is Ryan O'Neill, overrated or underrated? Overrated. In your whole oh, okay, good, good, good. Your, <laughs> I would say overrated. Opinion. You know, I I just don't I don't think there's there's great range there. Correct. Um, and there you are not do that many. What he um, does pretty well. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I, ironically, probably uh, the one place he was underrated was he probably had a better feel for comedy than people gave him credit for. And, you yes. know, what's up, Doc is a very good 
example of, of of how he could have done he didn't get a lot of good comedy scripts exactly he got he got several bad ones after that as a matter of fact so mm-hmm. you know but if you kind of look at the various um uh ryan o'neill performances that are there um there are not a lot of knockout performances right i think um, that the the extra characters in what's up doc because isn't that the one with the yeah, scientists and amazing the, the, the character and, actors I mean, come three. on it was yeah. incredible and, and every I, time I mean, you turn around in that movie you're bumping into somebody who's just wonderful they're still out there you know doing things it's amazing and i remember seeing that i was i, I couldn't have been more than 10 or something like that when i saw that on cable and and i will tell you that your name came up in yesterday's interview because I had the the researcher I was speaking to and I, I, I started using your thoughts on curiosity yeah. and teaching students. And, you know, I was really working with her and talking about, you know, her research students and do they have to be curious and how does that work? And had some really fun interactions with her about that. But so in, in the realm of curiosity, mm-hmm. um, I don't know the answers to these. But was Grizzly Adams, the TV show, um, a TV show that rode the wave of Robert Redford's Jeremiah Johnson movie, in your opinion? Um, no, I don't think it did. Oh, okay. Good. And I'll say why. Well, the reason I say no, it did, because remember, there was a Grizzly Adams movie. Correct. Uh, and, that, was, that, was, that, and was that, Dan Haggerty in that also? He was, but it was a low-budget movie, which right. had a, kind of a, a funky release. And it was almost like a Hallmark movie, right. nature kind of movie, which then is what Grizzly Adams turned into as a series. And mm-hmm. the only reason I say that is because the Redford film is much harder-edged. Oh, it, has, yeah. it had a different audience. It had a different marketing. It had a different appeal. So oddly enough, I'd say no. You know, on, on the surface, it might look like it was, but I don't think so. Because the the, the you know uh, the, the Redford film's got a sense of humor, you know it's got a very you know some dark sense of humor oh, <laughs> that corners yeah. the whole thing, um, and it's got you know it, it, the whole it, the, the, those two things don't match up in either theme, in tone, right. or in audience appeal. Right, right. Other so, than oddly enough, matter. I'd say no. You know, right. I, it, it's one of those things where on the surface you might go, hmm, that's suspicious. That looks like that's it, but it's really not. It's, right. it's really Redford just, was just not trying to talk. Be, you know, two frontier people. You know, uh, yes, two, two two mountain men. And I mean, you could take. It's like saying, you know, whoa, well, this character is a detective, and this character is a detective. So did that influence that? And he said, well, right, yeah, but but one's canon, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the other is, you know, is Burt Reynolds, and uh, it, it's something, you know, it's no, they're not. It didn't influence, <laughs> you know, at all. So, yeah, oh. I, 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 there I'd say no. You know? Okay, good. I'm glad I asked that because, you know, I've, I've never bothered to look any of it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that I, if you talk about curiosity, I still remember the conversation I had with a friend of mine, Hibby Brinkschneider, uh, big, big German, you know, population where I'm, where I grew up in New Albany, Indiana. But because um, I'm telling him about Grizzly Adams. And Hibby was um, a hunter and, and definitely an outdoors person. And he had said, well, if you're going to watch that, you really should see Redford's um, Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. And he said, I said, I would watch Jeremiah Johnson any day of the week versus Grizzly Adams, which I love the Grizzly Adams uh, TV show. So that, uh, 
again, the curiosity um, uh, germ. But what I, they I were worked. attempting to do is so different between those oh, yeah. two films because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, there's an intellectual cinematography art to Jeremiah Johnson. Correct. That was not what they were. I mean, it's a Sidney Pollock film for crying out loud. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's it was not just a, you know, a, a throwaway movie of some. No, kind. it was it says, serious. Okay, we're going to throw Rutford in with a mountain and it's going to be great. You know, it's, well, it's, 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 there's a real effort to, to and, and the character of Jeremiah Johnson is so interestingly drawn. And I oh, think yeah. with with Grizzly Adams, you know, there was more of an attempt to, to do like a, a modern Daniel Boone type of thing, you know, where this was Completely. like a mythology type of, you know, the, you know, and, and he had a pet bar, you know, well, pronounced it, bar, you know. Yeah, 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 I mean, it was very almost Disney friendly, you yeah, know, if you exactly. want to say, exactly. say something exactly. like that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, I'd say that Grizzly Adams had a lot more in common with Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone than mm-hmm. it did Jeremiah Johnson. Mm-hmm. Well, here, um, I always uh, get on Bradley's case, um, who I do the Kolshak's Loop podcast with, and and because he, I feel this sense that he wants to jump towards a segue, and and I I will just say oh, I'll just roll my my eyes and you know the, all segues aren't necessary. You can just say you're going to go to the next thing, but. <laughs> Going to segue by saying it's not going to be, I'll explain it. But by saying, you know, Burt Reynolds uh, reminds me that when we um, covered The Bard in our Twilight Zone podcast with Daryl, um, Reynolds plays a type of um, Brando brand. character. He's and his, his line is, What's my tertiary motivation? And anytime I hear anybody mention Burt, I always go to that. Now, I have. Um, done these little comparisons and one of the comparisons is who you know I say better but you know what I mean who do you like more or who do you appreciate more could be a tie who knows but they're so different that I felt like this was an apt comparison who do you like more in, in performances and or is a better actor Brando or Streep Streep yeah I think so too. I don't think it's close. Uh, right. As a matter of fact, I would. Here's the thing: if you go back to to Brando's now, first off, Brando's influence on the generations of actors is is untouched. It's unparalleled. Correct. Correct. You know, but it largely comes down to one performance. It really comes down to Stanley Kowalski and, and, mm-hmm. and maybe secondarily Terry Malloy in On the Waterfront. Right. But if you look at Brando's career, you know, if you look at the the scope of his career. When he came along, there were kind of four young lions who came mm-hmm. around at the same time. There was Brando, there was Montgomery Cliff, there was mm-hmm. James Dean, and then there was Paul Newman. Now, mm-hmm. Newman was considered the least of the four at the time. Newman was considered the kid, the pretty boy. Right. And the guy who got everybody's cast off role that, you know, he, you know, he did the silver chalice because nobody else wanted to do it, you know, and Cliff's career was, was cut short by the accident and you know uh, the the awful car accident that he was in and it disfigured part of his face and it took his career off the track right rando gave up and just you know turned into a uh an imitation of himself you know there's not that those aren't great performances and the godfather will always be you know iconic Mm -hmm. um and 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 Dean, of course, you know, will you will never know if what Dean would have done. He, there's only three movies to judge him on, you know. Right. So, 
how who knows how Dean would have aged as an actor. What we do know is that Paul Newman eclipsed all three of them and got the most out of his talent is that he never stopped working as an actor. He never stopped building as an actor. He was an actor's actor. And the least of the four, to my mind, became the greatest of the four. So, you know, I think Meryl Streep and Paul Newman are very, you know, uh, comparable actors in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you say, well, who, who which one? Uh, to me, it's no contest, you know, that it, that it's Meryl Streep. I think there's greater range, there's greater commitment, there's greater dedication. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, you can only make the most of the talent that you were given. Mm-hmm. But only, mm-hmm. you know, and and to me, Meryl Streep has boundless talent and she has more than made the most of it, which is more yeah. than you can say about Marlon Brando, you know. Right, right. Which is, you know, again, you know, I, you know, I'm not comfortable with the apple and oranges comparisons, you know. Right. Uh, I think that, you know, everybody's doing the best they can do under the, you know, with the exactly. life they've been given and the, 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 the emotional baggage they have. You know, there's a reason Brando became the person he was. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to make that sound judgmental. But if you're saying to me, you know, who got the most mileage out of this and who, you know, I'm, I'm going with Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in that, I, I love that because really when I wrote it, it I almost stopped doing any other comparisons for anybody because I thought Streep to me is probably the best that there is. And, 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 you know, it, it, she has to have her own roles that she has versus other male actors who have their own roles. And again, how difficult it is to say this is better than that. But, you know, I it just as, as a brief mention about her, um, I always respected what I would see of her. But the time that she did uh, Postcards from the Edge and played that um, Carrie Fisher-esque character, um, and sang and, and had the drug problems. And, and, and I was really young when I saw that one too, but it really had an impression on me of like, this is not the Meryl Streep I've ever seen in anything else that, that I've checked out at least, you know, in my small amount of time that I watch things. And uh, that really drew me to her performances. And then I went back to Kramer versus Kramer and the small but poignant role that she had in that. And, and then going back and forth on all those things. So I really, um, I, this is really fun for me because I have these thoughts and I don't necessarily know anyone else I could ask these questions of <laughs> who would entertain well, I mean, and, any and again, of that. It's always, you can always interpret in different ways because the other way you right. can look at it and say, and this would be also perfectly true, is is there any one performance on Meryl Streep's long distinguished resume that had the impact of Stanley Kowalski at that time in that place. Right. No, right. but right. And I, there's almost nobody who have played a Anywhere. role that had that, you know, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's the goat right there yeah. when it comes to that particular role. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and by the way, I mean, that whole production, it's not just, you know, um, it's also Kim Hunter. It's also Carl Malden. It's also, you oh, know, yeah. Uh, it's everybody's great that. in that Jessica Tandy in the original production. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an amazing, amazing script by Tennessee Williams. Um, you know, it just right. It's an amazing moment in the American theater. You know, right, right. I think it just it's it, you know it is a film that needs to be in the conversation, and the conversation just can be as rich as rich can be. Um, sure. When you when you think about it's it, it's sort of like you know. I mean, there always is like. 
everybody sort of wants to create a mythical heavyweight championship right or you know which is like for you know for instance what is the great american play what Mm -hmm. is the great now some people would say tennessee williams streetcar named desire and then other people said no 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 no. arthur miller uh, death of a salesman and other people said eugene o'neill long day's journey into night right Um, and the, and the question is, how do you choose? How do you decide that? There is no like point system that, that, that right. these things can go 15 rounds. And at right. the end of it, you say, well, long day's journey tonight. It's the one I'm you know, it's, 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 you know, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway famously, when he was a young writer, said that, you know, he wanted to be the heavyweight champion. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's no title, Ernie. You know, <laughs> they don't award this, you know. <laughs> it's funny you In say that because mind, you might think that, they, that you've got the title, but yeah. frankly, how do you judge that? And how do you, you know, there's always going to be, you know, a different way of sort of viewing things. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I think this, this would be a topic for another time and maybe not even worth it because of the comparison. I think got shot down, but when I got to speak to, uh, Richard Matheson's daughter, Allie, mm-hmm. I had said to her, and this is just over the phone on our pre-phone call. We didn't even get it on the, the podcast. But I had said that when I read I Am Legend, I got a sense of the the brevity um, of Matheson's writing. And and of course, the 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 scene of the when the dog passes away and just uh, just made me bawl. You know, today I posted a picture of a selfie of me and my dog on, on his dog bed when he felt bad. I mean, he got me. Um, but I compared um, Matheson's writing in that book to just, I didn't say it's the exact same thing, but I felt like it was Hemingway-esque in that the brevity was was just so artistic. Um, it just wasn't short uh, because he didn't want to write a bunch, um, but I, I felt it was sort of Hemingway-esque. And then Allie used the term that I still can't even say, whatever it was, because it was way over the top of my head, of how she didn't feel like um, uh, his her father's writing in that particular way was Hemingway-esque. But I don't know if that's anything that you've ever – I would imagine you've um, thought about the, that sort of brevity that Matheson uh, would use in his in his writing. And, yeah, I, uh, I, I I I agree with Ali. Actually, I, I've never really felt Hemingway in, in okay. Although, I think what they had in common was that you know Richard's major in college was journalism, and Hemingway learned journalism, and you do learn brevity of words. Exactly. How that's filtered through the writer, though, is very very different. You know, true, true. Very very. Uh, and and actually, you know, they um, they all had a lot of different influences, and they 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 but. The one thing that I think they do have in common is they are very, very distinct voices. You know, mm-hmm. Richard okay. Matheson is such a powerful, distinct voice. And I have always argued um, that, you know, Richard Matheson is a great American writer, period. There should not be any qualification to that. There should not right. be any kind of great fantasy writer, great science fiction writer, great whatever. It should be, you know, I, I know that at one point, I think this was in your podcast with Allie, um, one of you quoted uh, Richard saying that he wanted to be remembered as a storyteller. Yes, that was me. That was, that was me. That was my, he had said that to me. That's in, right. in uh, um, one of my interviews with him. And mm-hmm. I, I always thought, you know, no, 
no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no. So the, it, it, but but you can't say this about your son. Richard was much, much too. Uh, he 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 did not have the 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 ego. I mean, he had the ego to create. I mean, he had an ego, believe me. But he didn't have that that enormous Hemingway esque hubris uh, to right. have said, you know, yes, I am a great American writer. That's for other people to say, and I'll be one mm -hmm. of them to say it, and I'll be the first to say it that I think uh, Richard Matheson was a great American writer, and it'll take a long time for it to be recognized because he did write a lot of genre, and genre right. is like what Woody Allen said about if you write comedy, you, you're eating at the children's table in literature, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's true of horror, that's true of science fiction, that's true of, of humor, it's true of, of a lot of genres that are not taken as seriously by the guardians of literature, the people right. who, you right. know, edit... Uh, you know, Vanity Fair and the Atlantic and you know the the, the New Yorker uh, you know they, this was always sort of considered uh, so, and 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 the, the the ironic thing is that these genres tend to tackle the big themes the oh yeah actually they're the ones that are talking about you know a lot of the literature that was uh, championed by the New Yorker in the 50s and 60s has not aged very well I mean mm -hmm. who was the great the, the 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 short story writer most publicized by the new most published by the New Yorker in the fifties John O'Hara who reads John O'Hara anymore mm -hmm. who you know this is a guy who was almost dated by the time his he, he, he was over you know it, when it was over it was almost immediately the stuff had dated really really and mm -hmm. and the idea was you know that you know if you wrote novels, what they called novels of the heart, and you know, novels about some, you know, middle-aged uh, professor in Ann Arbor having a midlife crisis, that was literature. But if you wrote what Stephen King writes, that's not literature. Right. It's not to be taken seriously. Well, I got news for you, you know. Um, behind all of that, Stephen King is documenting what was really happening in American life. Right. The same way Dickens was. And Dickens was not considered the great writer of his time. Mm -hmm. It took a long time for people to recognize that, gee, if we want to know what was happening in Victorian England in the 18th, we better read Dickens because we're not going to well, get it from anywhere else. Right. Well, there's we'll a lot just... of things about American life you're not going to get from anywhere else if you're not reading these genre writers. So right. it's, it's always been something which, you know, it's, and I think it worked against Richard from the fact that he did write horror. He did write science fiction. He did, you know, he wrote a lot of things. So, you know, he, he was a many kinds of writers, but he was primarily known for those things. Um, and I think that it's going to take a long time for people to understand just how good a writer Richard was. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, I think of and, and I hate to say it, I need to probably take a break just for a second. I know we're almost done. I'm going to do something here with a cat. I can hear things going on. But um uh, speaking of cats, and you know, I I think I always remember in Huckleberry Finn, the, I guess maybe the foreword that Twain writes. You know, the accents that are displayed here. I'm paraphrasing were painstakingly, you know, researched and put on paper. Um, you know, this it, this is a serious work. Um, you know, I, I just remember getting that overall feeling of what Twain said about that. And, you know, he knew very well what he was doing might not be received as, uh, you know, that. And, and I'm no Twain scholar like you, but that's still something that has stuck with me ever since I read it when I was 16 years old for the first time. 
So well, uh, Mark Twain's still giving us trouble, you know. The, 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 <laughs> I, Mark Twain is still making trouble. I mean, he was making trouble, you know, back in the the, the mid eighteen hundreds, and he's still making trouble. Is that uh, he's 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 you know, there's a an expression uh, in Huckleberry Finn, "Born to Trouble." Boy, that's Mark Twain. He's no born doubt. to trouble, and no thank doubt. goodness, thank goodness, he is because he he's always challenging us. He's one of those voices. That's yeah, always that's what we need. Okay, can you, do you, I'm sorry, Mark, can you give me just like a couple minutes? I'll be right back, and sure. then we'll, we'll sure. knock this out. Minutes. Thank you. Appreciate I'll it. Okay. All right, back again. All right, now for five more hours. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the one, uh, I'll just say it, but it's not, we don't have to go into it, but I thought an interesting comparison to talk about would be kind of the body of work of Michael Keaton, as compared to Henry Winkler, um, apples and oranges, but they both were in the the night shift movie together. Uh, you know that Ron Howard did, and they had very different roles. And you know, for Winkler, it was coming off of being the Fonz, and Keaton was just sort of getting started. But of course, he got eventually kind of typecast with the Batman stuff, and and then his career has taken such an interesting, and both of them their careers have taken such interesting turns of late with oh, yeah. Wink with Winkler and Barry. And of course, Keaton, you know, with, with the things that he has done, it's just been uh, phenomenal. So I thought they would be kind of interesting folks to talk about, but let's skip them because what I wanted to do. And I, as I was looking them up, I realized I didn't have my list correct is to think about all the different people who played doc holiday. <laughs> who is a who is a good rich character? Yeah, really. Um, and and then I I forgot that, and I've seen it. Um, but Kirk Douglas played Holiday in one of the versions, Kirk Lancaster. Right? Yep. And, and Jason Robards played it to James Garner. I didn't know that Robards played it. Power oh. of the Gun. Power of the Gun, a great movie. Oh, I have to see that. I love yeah. I love mm -hmm. Robards. Mm -hmm. So, um, but Victor Mature never played. Doc Holiday, right? I, I think, think he does. I think, doesn't isn't 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 he in uh, uh, My Darling Clementine? That's it. Okay, yeah. I think yeah, I just sure saw. Is. Yeah, he's okay. He's, he's sort of a, a miscast Doc Holiday because you know he's Victor Mature is a strapping. Uh, you know, it's a great movie, but it's uh, you know, but yeah, that's 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 Fonda, and uh, I believe uh, it's Victor Mature. Yeah. Okay, that's that's what I'm getting it mixed up when I think I'm I'm getting it mixed up with i loved um bill murray's uh what was it close to the edge the the m somerset mom film razor's it, edge razor's edge yeah I, I love that razor's edge and then um the, then the original version of that i think i got mixed up and i thought that mature was in that but it actually is somebody else yeah no um, no no but no but he, he plays anyway. doc holiday and uh yes, in my girl yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but I mean, you've got so many performances and, you know, what, what I ended up seeing in the nineties, of course, was, you know, Quaid and, and Kilmer and, and their performances, which I like each of them um, a, a lot. I think it's because he is such an interesting character. Um, but, but Kilmer's um, I'll be your Daisy um type of lines that he does that's it's, I'll so, be your yeah it's I'll, I'll be your huckleberry isn't it correct you're, you're yeah. well I'll be your huckleberry you're a daisy if you do uh, yeah. that's that's yeah. I think yeah. what it was yeah. but mm -hmm. you know I went into just looking up 
like why um, is he saying these particular lines? And I guess the daisy part is you'll be a daisy if you do is saying you're going to die if you do because we're going to put daisies on your 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 gravesite. Um, and then the Huckleberry part I couldn't really get. But do any of those because you've seen a bunch of them? Do any of those ring um, uh, with greater appreciation for you? Any of those performances, or is it is it like children? And you just want to celebrate them all. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that there's any one that that really stands out for me because they are part of very, very different uh, movie worlds. Yeah, yeah. They're part of very, very different interpretations of the story, mm-hmm. and therefore, and therefore, um, it's not like you can say, "Oh, you can take Val Kilmer out of." this movie and put him into my darling clementine it's totally anachronistic and wrong you know it's what suits that that interpretation at the time so um it's it's sort of like you know we the discussion i've i have often you know we've had on dracula where i say you know there are things that i like about every performance sure and you know there's not one where I, i basically go well that person got it we can retire the role now you know because this is it Um, There are just certain roles which are so open to interpretation Mm -hmm. and so open to what not only what the the, but what the director is going for, because John Ford is a very, very different kind of a director than Mm -hmm. anybody else who's going to have their take on the, uh, you know, the story of the Earps. And, um, you know, it's a but it's a fascinating story. You know, there was a there was a series on television in the 1970s and i think um david wolper was behind it and what he did was he did a series of this is really good it's really worth tracking down if you want to see this Mm -hmm. he did a series of specials and the whole idea was what would these events be like if news cameras were available then oh uh-huh. And you could stop and you could interview the person at the time. And, things like and they did two, which were amazing. One was the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. where they, you know, and they, they used actual, you know, uh, words that were used as much as they could. But they also right. did the gunfight at the OK Corral. Oh, yeah. As if there were actually, and it is really well done. And I got Lauren Green, of all people, to narrate it. Oh, so there's it's, a voice. Lockhart Wright himself. Yeah, there's basically a voice. being the Walter Cronkite of the Old West, and it's this kind of lost gem for people who love that story and love mm-hmm. their reinterpretation of the story, because it was done with a really nicely, you know, and, and it, it, it right on down to you know where Lauren Green's narrating the gunfight and says, you know, at this point. You know, Doc trades his cane for for Virgil's shotgun, and this is this point. <laughs> yeah, this is that. It's, and it's really well done. It is uh-huh. really, and then they dissect air where every bullet was shot. Oh my <laughs> and, gosh! Uh, it's 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 really well done. It's worth it's worth seeking out. That it does sound these, neat. These little gems, and those two in particular, the uh, the 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 day Lincoln was shot, and the gunfight at the Oak Creek were, were really nicely done. Cool, cool. Okay, two more, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, rich man, poor man. Nick Nolte's role in that, or his his performance in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then 
sort of like go on after that with the rest of his career, did he get better and have better roles? Or was that as good as it gets with oh, Rich no, Man? He, got, he gets a good role. I mean, Nolte yeah. gets, gets a lot of good shots, mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of different types of things. Right. Um, you know, I, and I, Rich Man, Poor Man is sort of the launching pad. Correct. Because before that, nobody knew who he was. Nobody mm-hmm. is all of a sudden there's this actor, Nick Nolte. And, you know, this was also the height of the miniseries when there was only three networks and miniseries were these real events and people really got hooked into them. And Rich Man, Poor Man was this kind of good soap opery story too. And all of a sudden here's this, this actor where we go, you know, what, what's, what is this? And then you look at some of the, the, the roles he got, uh, the, the shot, the shots he get, even, you know, some of the action stuff, the action comedy stuff he does, you know, he's, he's got, Hey, listen, the guy's got moves, you know? Oh yeah. For yeah. sure, yeah. For sure. So okay, no, no, good. I think I think I think um, I'm a big fan of him. So I, 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 and I think with good reason. I think with good, mm-hmm. good reason. I, I there too. I think that maybe there's an underrated talent there. You know, mm-hmm. there is somebody who who perhaps probably deserves some better scripts along the way because I think he could have delivered. You know, right. You know, he was Dan Curtis's choice to play Kolshak. No, I'm oh, yeah. so glad we stumbled into that. Oh, he would have been a great yes. Cole Shack. Yes, yes. There was there was a script called uh, you know, Return of the Night Stalker that uh, yeah. uh that Dan had, and then he was gonna just do a remake called The Night Stalker. In both cases, uh Dan had Cole Shack and um Tony cast. Mm-hmm. And his casting was Nick Nolte for Cole Shack and Danny Danny Aiello as as tony vincenzo so if dan had gotten his wish yeah and done his remake in the 90s that would have been your casting and he saw in nolte a guy who at that point looked like he'd been kicked around a bit absolutely to do you know was actually probably more convincing as an action hero than darren had been Mm -hmm. and um you know had some sense of humor and looked like he'd been uh, kicked around by life a little bit, kicked in the teeth a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dan really thought Nick Nolte could do it, you know. So it was his and, choice. And from, and from what you've told us about Dan, um, you know, the, the sort of the longshoreman uh, sort of persona that he had, and uh, I could see him bonding, you know, toward towards a Nolte. Uh, for sure, and but I'm I'm thrilled that you mentioned Danny Aiello because I was going to mention Aiello, mm-hmm. and and I I have you know his his role in his performance and do the right thing is just yep. amazing, just yeah. utterly amazing. And Dan really liked Danny Aiello. He used him. Mm-hmm. He, he, I think if if Dan had been doing more things in the '90s and into the 2000s, Danny Aiello would have been part of the stock company the way that Johnny Carlin had been early on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I don't think there's any question he had a real affection for for Danny Aiello's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sad to hear when he passed away. He mm-hmm. had had been on Gilbert Godfrey's podcast, and uh, as he was talking, there was someone there named Frank. I guess was Godfrey's buddy on the podcast sidekick. And every time Aiello said something, it was like, sort of like a good fella saying, am I right, Frank? Frank, what do you think about that? Come on, Frank. Tell me what's going on. Frank, you know. And it's just, and I keep picturing like Sinatra as he's saying it. But, uh, oh, but, but 
with Aiello, uh, I'm just so excited. We were talking about this. The other role was Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah. Um, he played such a bastard in that that role. I mean, to this day, I'm afraid of that character. <laughs> I mean, he was such a you know a bum, but at the same time cruel, and oh, uh, just uh, and and then to turn that around to being the uh, sweet, vulnerable, um, you know, lackluster gangster that he was in Three Days in the Valley. Um, you know, when he gets the, uh, the pasta cooked for him and oh, there's just range a great, there. great actor. There's, there's, there's unquestionable range there. You remember, yeah. you know, he, he does a buddy film with, with Eddie Murphy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and does not get blown off the screen in, a, in by, by Eddie Murphy in a, in a, in a, a movie, which is as much a comedy as it is a, a crime, uh, adventure, but it's mostly right. a buddy movie. And it's right. like, He's got that move, you know. Yeah, for <laughs> it's sure. There, you know? and for that, sure. That's a deceptive move, you know. That's that's it's one of those things which you say, well, you look at the totality of the career, and when you put it all together, it looks good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So here, here's an easy one because you can choose one or the other, and you're not necessarily uh, committing yourself to saying one's better or one's worse. But if you were only given two options and, and you had to pick one of them for what you were going to watch in, in the entirety of these movies, sort of as a series or sequels, would you pick uh, Sigourney Weaver's Alien and Aliens and so on, or Linda Hamilton in the Terminator franchise? Oh, don't you think that's a good comparison? It is a good comparison. It's a tough yeah. choice. Um, but I, I as would, I pat myself on the back for my question, as much as I hate the third Alien movie, <laughs> <laughs> is that the one when they're in would, like the temple or whatever it is, and she like sort of like you know the the, the one with Winona Ryder and uh, so, yeah, oh, okay, that one, yeah, yeah that wasn't that good, I, and and, was good, and I really do think two is just such a great movie. Two is so, mm. sort of and yep. one one's got I mean one's got all of the original really good ideas in it and everything yep. and two is just such a really well done movie yeah three is such a, you know uh but i'm still <laughs> gonna probably go with that because i like one and two so much i like the, mm-hmm. the two. and i and, and and that's just personal because i think there is a although i think alien and aliens is consider you know if you were to sort of say where do they fall in the grand so that you would say science fiction but there's definitely a horror aspect to both. I oh, mean, yeah. if you look at the first one in particular, the first one is basically a haunted house story. It just happens to be a house. spaceship. Yeah, you're in an isolated, you can't get out, right. you've been locked in, and you're right. locked in with the malevolent spirit. Well, the malevolent spirit just happens to be the alien, mm-hmm. and the haunted house just happens to be the ghost ship. The, the, the ship. So I, 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 it really does, even though it's science fiction and, and everything, the way it feels and every the way it's written and all that, in execution in, in in structure it's really a horror film you know? absolutely and well, so you that's going to appeal to me a little bit more mm-hmm. you know well, and, and, that, and, and, and that's personal because again it's it's, right. to me, it comes up, it's the same reason i like jurassic park jurassic park is a haunted house movie you know mm-hmm. it's just, the house is an sure. island the the things sure. jumping out and saying boo or dinosaurs but it's you know it's and everybody's like, well it's a techno thriller <laughs> it's science fiction it's action it's, it's, it's yeah you know but the structure itself is horror, you know. Right. You can't. You're you're trapped. You can't get out. You're trapped in with the with these malevolent beings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's uh you know i same reason i, I like both those movies very much you gotcha know? gotcha yeah I, I i think i would tend to agree with you um when the first alien came out i was still so much younger um but it, it was pretty terrifying um for me to watch that as sort of the, the take home that i had of that and i didn't really appreciate the the sci-fi side of it that i now appreciate as i'm older and um and but uh with terminator um that probably spoke to me more initially because it was more of just the fight scenes of uh mm-hmm. the, the the you know the Kyle character and and uh Linda Hamilton uh you know being a uh, what do you want to say of becoming you know a, a warrior female self-sufficient you know proves herself in battle you have an alien too as well correct 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 so um yeah but anyway those the, the, curious about your thoughts on those things and and i think that's probably where best where we should uh wrap things up and um I'll I'll say to you and and say it again for the you know six people who may listen to this that <laughs> if it's based on me based on you we're going to get a lot more people but you know I I really just want to do this type of podcast because I'm really just curious and I'm interested in talking to a lot of different people and and I and I thought about you when I was picking that title because of the way that you said you were at a uh, an event and you had all your books on laid out on the table and the guy yeah. said you know what is the you know the the joining Common factor thing. among all these and you said it's me yeah. and and really that's kind of the way that I'm approaching this podcast is is that things are going to go everywhere sure. you know Icelandic follow, follow your passions follow your yeah. interests follow what you you know it's it, it should be a reflection of you you know, it yeah. should, then it doesn't not, not need to be a reflection of anybody else. Right, right. Let them get their own podcasts and get their right. own show. Exactly. And, you know, there was a coworker as I was getting everybody's input on, on, on a type of a title who had said, you know, well, just call it yourself. Just say it's your name. It's your podcast because you don't really want to pigeonhole yourself into anything else because of the variety that you want. I'm like, you know, you're right. So I just put the two together with that tracks and in my name. And, and I've always had this um, silly idea that my name with the way it is with three, three names. Uh, so maybe somebody will con- confuse me for Robert Downey Jr. Or you know, so I know that'll never happen, but in my own little head, it's like Robert Steerbury. Oh yeah. He does something. I should listen to that guy and just, sort of, you, you know, use that. So for whatever that's worth, that's my own little fantasy that might happen one day. Um, Mark, if there are people who have not listened to you before, uh, because they're listening to you now with me, how can people reach you if they want to reach you and you want to be reached? <laughs> well, I'm on Facebook, obviously. Correct. And that's always a, gr- a good way to interact. And um, I have a, a website, which is markdewitzek.com. So it's very tricky. It's just myname.com. Uh <laughs> So I'm one of the easiest people in the world to reach, you know. Uh, you really are one of the most easiest people to contact. So you know, uh, and 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 it always comes up. It's it's fun because you never know what somebody is getting in touch with you for. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's whatever they are particularly passionate about. But it could be Columbo, 
you know, it could be Mark Twain, it could be Harlan Ellison, um, you know, it, it could be Richard Matheson, it could be Cole Shack. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's wonderful, you know, because you, 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 you never know what passions have brought them to you. Mm -hmm. but, but it is something that, that they're genuinely enthusiastic and passionate about. And it's, it's, it's fun to be, you know, or maybe it's the Twilight Zone or Rod Serling or, you know, maybe it's Edgar Allan Poe or the Shawshank Redemption. Um, you know, whatever it is, um, it's something which uh, I'm obviously very passionate about and very, right. you know, and, and, and I refuse to, as you know, I refuse to uh, basically be labeled or say, you know, well, this, it's, it's all this or it's all that. There are certain things I'm, I'm interested in, I'm always going to be interested in, and I'm, I'll always go back to Mark Twain, I'll always go back to the horror side of the street. You know, these are all areas of interest uh, mm -hmm. uh, for me. But I'm never going to stay there. I'm never going to, you know, because uh, to me, you know, truly uh, the variety is the spice. Uh, and I don't understand the, the notion of saying it's it's all this and forever will be this and it can only be this. Mm -hmm. um, it's not built it's that just, way. Yeah, no, I, that's that's just marketing. You know, it's, 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 uh, I think just it, the, the compulsion to have to turn a dime and it's an and American compulsion. This, yeah. Yeah. Completely. And it's an American 20th century compulsion. Exactly. You know, we, well, we, we never had that before. Um, right. You know, the, the emergence of, uh, of a mass media pop culture in the, uh, the 20th century and um, an actor was an actor or a writer was a writer and it didn't matter. And, and, and there was not a writer of the, of the 1800s who basically created a modern horror story. And a lot of people had their hand in that, you know, but certainly Mary Shelley did. Mm -hmm. Certainly Poe did. Certainly Robert Louis Stevenson did. Certainly Bram Stoker did. And not one of them would have called themselves a horror writer. Correct. Not only that would they have not right. called them that, they wouldn't have known what you were talking about mm -hmm. if you had used that right. term. Right. <laughs> you know, they would have, they would have said, well, you mean I write gothics? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, every once in a while, I do like to tell a good spooky story if that's what's, what's, what's taking me at the moment. But, you know, I might just as easily be writing poetry or an adventure novel or whatever. They They saw no need to specialize in one thing and reduce it that is an american branding marketing tool of the 20th century and uh and we've Agreed. done it not only with with writers we've done it with actors and directors and right um, to the point that we're almost suspicious of versatility oh you are you because know what what, yeah. what are you know we love specials right 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 you know we we champion the specialists we champion well, Alfred Hitchcock was good because he wrote, he did thrillers, you know, mm -hmm. and he didn't do anything. He stuck to thrillers. Well, why is that better than what uh, William Wyler did or, or, or Robert Wise or uh, or Howard Hawks or all these directors who could show they could do anything? Mm -hmm. why are they, well, people are almost suspicious of that. Mm -hmm. The same thing with writers. It's like, well, we like our writers who are specialists. Well, what do you write? You know, do I have to write just one thing? 
Well, you know, so you're rewarded for that. You're rewarded for, you know, uh, for being a specialist. And you're certainly rewarded more economically for being a, right. a specialist. Right, but, right, you know, right. A well, lot of writers day, are constitutionally unfit to do that, and I'm one of them. Yeah. Well, one day we'll have to um, discuss if you ever read any of Gordon R. Dixon's um, sci-fi series, The uh, Child Cycle. And um, I'll it's, surprise it, you here. Um, mm-hmm. I have actually not read that much science fiction. No, I, I think I've brought this up before. I'm not and, a science fiction guy. That. I mean, I've always yeah. we, uh, I've had science fiction people tell me, "Oh, you're a science fiction guy. You're one of us." It's like, no, not really. No, you're, you're more you of a know, guy. Uh, well, that and even the science fiction that I've read, I think, tends to be miscategorized. Like, I, you know, Ray Bradbury was a friend, and also, mm. you know, I, I've read everything that Ray ever wrote. And I love Ray. And for a long time, his publisher, uh, Bantam Books, would always print on his books, the world's greatest living science fiction author. It really mm-hmm. wasn't true. Ray really wasn't a science fiction author. He was a fantasy writer. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't like a Robert Heinlein or an Arthur C. Clarke or an Asimov. He wasn't a science fiction writer in, in that that sense. Right. And the, the stuff that he wrote that people tend to think of as science fiction really operate more under the aegis as a fantasy than they do true science fiction exactly you know so i'm not i was i've never been your hardcore science fiction guy you know yeah. so people will yeah. say to me they'll assume well you've probably read an awful lot of fill in the blank and you know there are some science fiction writers i've read a lot of because i like them as writers mm-hmm. not because yeah. they're science fiction writers but because i like their writing period right well that's that that was the the message is what i liked with dixon's series and it was that the the world had become so splintered by specialization that the and 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 really the galaxies were that way um that the only way for mankind to uh, continue to evolve and and end all the battles and the hatred and whatever else was to come back together again and not be so specialized, but everybody sort of had their part. But in 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 that respect, I think we'll we'll go ahead and, and make a close to things. And um, thank you very much, Mark, for being here with me. Um, this is just the second uh, podcast I'm doing, and and for this new that tracks podcast, and and um, I hope we'll get a chance to do this again and uh, talk a little more, and um, we'll just see where the the curiosity trail takes us. <laughs> let's just way to do it call it that let's call it. it that okay well thanks again mark i appreciate it and uh i look forward to seeing you in the fa- in, in the facebook sure. as they might say <laughs> i'll see you there okay. okay all right i'll end it all there and uh thanks for again for staying up so late with me i appreciate it i know this is your your gig i've got to remember i got to wake up in three hours and 45 Ooh. minutes <laughs> <laughs> and i'll be hearing it from my wife Okay. All right, Mark. Well, this is awesome, buddy. I'm going to go ahead and stop everything. And um, I, again, I appreciate it. And, you know, have a great day. Have a good night's sleep. I hope you got what you needed. I hope that oh, this was, uh... that, that was it. I know it, it maybe the question about the ghost story threw you a little bit, but no, that's exactly what I wanted. I, really, I wanted like to I my said, experience of hearing really... you say that. I'll go anywhere you want, you know, yeah. like I said, that's why I always tell you, I don't want to know what the, the questions are. Oh no. Yeah. And I keep that way with everybody. I won't, I won't send anybody questions ahead of time. I say, look, this, I have a bunch of notes. 
I can fill the time, but the conversation is going to be organic. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. Cause I, you know, again, I, 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 I'll go anywhere, you know, that, uh, where, where the conversation will take us. And I, and I, it's going to be a lot more candid if I don't know what's, you know, exactly. Exactly. Well, I don't know if you'll want to hear the story of an Icelandic Olympian uh, javelin thrower, but maybe you will. Yeah. <laughs> and th- that'll, that'll be happening sometime soon. That's, you know, that is something that, you, you know, again, there's your curiosity. People are absolutely fascinating. I mean, if you, if you want to be a writer, how can you not want to hear that? How can you not want to hear those guys? I don't understand people who say they want to be a writer and then they don't say, like, oh, I'm not interested in that. Well, you, you better be. You should be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I hear pitter patter of little okay. dog steps. So okay. I better do it. Take care, Mark. Okay. Good night. See, See you, care. buddy.